0: Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. Hi everyone! I hope that you are having a great day! I'm excited about today's episode because one thing I love about this podcast is getting to reconnect with people who I have met all along my sustainability journey. Today, I am speaking with John Alexander, who is my mentor at the 2019 climate reality training that took place in Atlanta. For anyone who doesn't know, the Climate Reality Project is a nonprofit organization involved in education and advocacy related to climate change. The nonprofit was actually founded by former Vice President Al Gore, and I got to hear him speak at the training, which was a really incredible experience. Over the three days, I got to meet so many people who were passionate about sustainability and ready to join the fight against climate change. John did a really great job at making our entire group feel connected, and I'm so glad that he was my mentor. In today's episode, John is going to tell us all about his college experience at Tulane University, how he got involved with the Climate Reality Project, and tell us all about how he landed his job as the distribution and operations associate at a company called Wholesome Meats. Wholesome Meats is a San Antonio-based beef brand dedicated to accelerating the consumer adoption of regenerative agriculture. It was really interesting to learn all about this practice of regenerative agriculture, and John really believes that it could become a large-scale, sustainable solution moving forward. John is very passionate about everything that he does. And after listening to this episode, I guarantee that you will also feel inspired to make a difference. Enjoy the show. John, thank you for being here today. I'm really excited to reconnect with you. And for some background for the listeners, I first met you in 2019, I believe, at the climate reality training in Atlanta, Georgia, where you were my mentor. And since then we have both graduated and we're both working in the sustainability field, which is really exciting. So I'm really looking forward to hearing all about your experience with the Climate Reality Project and all about your new job. So first go ahead and tell us about who you are. Yeah,
1: hello listeners. Um, (laughs) My name is John Alexander. Um, I am a longtime Texan who went to New Orleans at Tulane University for college where I studied environmental studies with minors in business and social innovation. I've really gotten involved with climate action um, during my collegiate career. I learned about it in high school, got really engaged and started taking action in college. Um, Coming out of college, I knew I wanted to continue that path of environmental action into the workforce and was able to find a job that works in regenerative agriculture, which I'm sure I'll explain later. Um, And along with that, continue with volunteering through organizations like the Climate Reality Project to continue to have an impact um, and have those volunteer and educational opportunities as well.
0: I always like to ask people, or I'm always really interested in finding out how people initially became interested in sustainability. So I know you just mentioned you learned a lot about it in high school, in college. Was that your real first introduction to sustainability, or had you always been interested in it growing up?
1: Yeah, so growing up, I was a Boy Scout, and you know, Scout's Honor ended up as an Eagle Scout. Um, was always exposed to nature in that method and the first real academic exposure to environmentalism and sustainability was the summer after my sophomore yeah summer after my sophomore year in high school i took a class with um, the foresight design initiative up in chicago that was focused on sustainability climate change and the innovating city and it was this really um, cool systems level overview of the intersections and then dive, d- diving down into the minutia of how these specific systems interact. Um, I thought I would do something with like architecture or urban design at some point, didn't go down that path, who knows, maybe I still will at some point. Um, but I thought that was a fascinating take on it. And from then on just launched into learning as much as I could.
0: So you talked a little bit about what your undergraduate degree was in. What was your college experience like in terms of opportunities to learn about sustainability? Were you really involved in the sustainability community at your college or was there even a sustainability community there?
1: Yeah, overall at Tulane, students were really engaged with environmental action. Um, There was a bit of a disconnect and continues to be at Tulane um, between students and the actual community of New Orleans and the surrounding area um, and a lot of action can be taken by students um, when it comes to like data analysis and communication and working with obviously like the communities of Cancer Alley and Death Alley right there between Baton Rouge and New Orleans for people that don't know what those are um, it is The most concentrated area of petrochemical refineries and plants in the world, (laughs) and it results in massive, massive impacts to mainly communities of color that have been in those areas and have been developed around and essentially pushed out of their homes and if they don't leave, they are slowly killed and poisoned. Mm. So there are plenty of ways to get involved Um, and many students choose to take action many. continue on as in blissful ignorance, but mm-hmm. um, I chose to get involved with um, some community action as well as action on campus. So I was the director of sustainability for our campus uh, student government Wow! in my sophomore year and junior year and was able to work on a couple of initiatives and really kind of highlight the work that a lot of the really engaged students wanted to do Uh, one of which was an awesome student, uh, Cumin, who was able to really work diligently on a single-use bag fee. And in working together, we were able to see it all the way through into actual fruition. We had to work with like Barnes and Noble, uh, the university itself, and then also had to tiptoe across the line of like, is this technically a policy that we can't implement? Mm -hmm. Because that was right around the time that single-use bag fees by cities were being attacked by federal state governments. Okay. So it was that that context of, well, can we do this? We're a private institution, so the answer is yes. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, so during sophomore and junior year, I was involved a lot with campus sustainability and senior year, uh, particularly in the environmental studies program, the senior capstone was directly tied to work we did with the community in Elson, Louisiana. Um, and one of the aspects we did there was analyze and kind of break down a public comment period on a landfill there. So that when it came to submitting these actual like analyses of what the public comments were, we could go to the approving board and say, look, here are the comments that were made and here's who said them. And here are the yeses, which is like this many. And here are all of the people in the surrounding community who say no. Can you really stand with approving this? So it's, of course, Louisiana is a, a very complicated place as anywhere is when it comes to political actual action being taken um, in a government sense, but if the people do stand up, we can make an impact very frequently.
0: Do you feel like your experience with your, or being the director of sustainability helped you in your career? I always like hearing about people's experiences with sustainability on their college campus because I was really involved in my college's sustainability community. So what was that like um, being in the sustainability community and really making an impact? How did that help with your career? 1000%
1: thousand percent connected yes um, so when i was involved with sustainability on campus it, it very much i think empowered me to continue to take environmental action and i was very fortunate with the the director of sustainability who came before me uh, she very much like took me under her wing freshman year and kind of guided me educated me on like this is how you take action here. This is how you can make these changes. And sophomore year, for some reason I was, it was an application process to be the director and they chose a sophomore. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like super excited, gung ho. Like, I think part of the benefit of being a sophomore going into that position was that I wasn't on campus long enough to be jaded Mm. about what we could and couldn't do. So I was just like, we can do anything. (laughs) And as much as that was like a very young outlook on it, I think it did inform and allow us to take more drastic action than we thought we could. Um, And then after I left the position at the end of junior year, I stayed involved with student government um, but I was able to kind of do the same thing and coach up another freshman who then took over the committee and did a wonderful job with it. Now she's been able to pass it along to someone else at the end of this year.
0: Oh, that's great. And I feel like that attitude can be really contagious. So even if you're coming in a little naive, you're super passionate and you can still get a lot done and really influence people and make an impact when you're so positive and passionate about what you're doing. Definitely. Yeah. So how did you get involved with the Climate Reality Project? And for anyone who's listening and maybe hasn't heard of what that is, can you explain a little bit about their mission and their goals?
1: Definitely. The Climate Reality Project, the way that I first got involved was after my was that, yeah, after my sophomore year of college, I was really looking for ways to get involved more nationally and broadly um, and into the world because I had gotten involved on my campus, I'd started getting involved in the community, and I was ready to kind of look at larger programs, saw Climate Reality was offering a training in LA, and made my way out to LA, where I had a wonderful time at the training, really met some incredible people, uh, both mentors and mentees alike, and it's like, oh yeah, this organization is doing incredible work. So climate reality is really all about spreading the message of climate change. And there are three kind of questions. You know, It's like, must we act? Can we act? Will we act? And must we act? Of course, we have to act. Can we act? Well, yeah, there are a bunch of different ways that we can take action on this. And will we act? So long as we drive the political will towards that positive impact? Yes. And one of the things that's been really incredible to see with climate reality over the years is a greater and greater connection with environmental justice work. Mm -hmm. Uh, So with the connection with the Poor People's Campaign um, that has been really impactful and especially with the training in Atlanta uh, that we were both at, you could really drive forward on that connection and see through the speakers who were there through even the the location we were hosted in um, how impactful and connected the fight is between or alongside environmental and justice work together as environmental justice
0: yeah definitely when i came into the training i had personally never even heard of the climate reality project i didn't know anything about what to expect but Me and some of my other friends from the sustainability program at UGA all heard about it. And I was like, guys, we have to do this. This sounds super cool. It was actually over our spring break. So we were really dedicated (laughs) to coming. And it was such an incredible experience. The whole training, I learned so much. And you just get to meet and hear from so many amazing people. What was your first training like? What do you remember from it?
1: Uh, LA was was absolutely wonderful. One of the things for me was my brother was or is still out on the west coast, and so it was really great to be there and kind of see him and at the same time be able to go to the training. And it was so like I said it was incredible before, but honestly, the people that I've met through Climate Reality and through that first training you know, we'll, we'll all like stay connected on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever platform. And seeing the actions that they're taking, and someone will post about it and be like, Oh, my gosh, did you see like yada yada from training, just did this incredible thing, or they'll just post themselves and say, Look at this incredible thing that we were able to come together and do in our location or like in our city. And seeing all of that, just further drives you to make that change yourself and to like drive forward on the impact in your location. Um, And all, all of that together just ties into who the people are at the trainings. And if you stay connected, you can really continue to drive the change in yourself just by being able to see those people that you're so in awe of when you first meet and continue to be in awe of, even as you carry on together.
0: Yeah, I feel like sustainability has such a domino effect. And when you see other people who are making a difference, it really just makes you want to make a difference at the same time. And how did you take the jump from attending the training to becoming a mentor?
1: Definitely. Um, That was right around, let's see, that training was second half of junior year. So the first part of that Um, I'd been trained in 2018. So I actually skipped my first week of class (laughs) of that year to attend the training. Wow. Uh, Was a great trade-off. You know, I went from taking a bunch of different classes to taking purely environmental classes for a week (laughs) (laughs) with the different um, educational sessions. And in that transition period, That whole of my junior year was, I knew I was transitioning out of that director role in the student government with sustainability. And I was really coming to how do I make this transition? How do I make sure that change continues after I'm gone? And really hit home with, well, it's it's about training others. It's about like multiplying the effect far beyond yourself. Um, So when I went back And saw that climate reality was having another training. I was like, "Oh, I'd I'd love to mentor. Like, let's let's do that." Um, And I chose to mentor uh, primarily college students that time. Um, And this this past online U.S. training that just wrapped up and was actually still technically open um, on the portal. I chose to mentor college students again because it's. I think that's such an empowerful a powerful time for people. where you have a lot of options to learn and get educated and to educate yourself and others and what you choose to do after that can really set a trajectory Um, and being able to be a little part of that experience for someone is just fantastic
0: well you were a great mentor and you did a really amazing job of making our entire group really feel connected and learn so much throughout the week and have a really great experience. What has your mentorship experience been like, especially with this past year or yeah, this past training that happened with COVID I'm sure that was a completely different experience than you were used to.
1: Yeah. I mean, so firstly, y'all's group was incredible. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good group. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I can't stress that enough. Um, this this us online training we just went through was really really cool um the group for our small group ended up being a little smaller than the group that you were in so it's a little under that size but it was still i think one of the nice parts about that smaller smaller group is that we were able to have really intimate conversations in the small group discussions
0: mm.
1: so we would have this big broadcast on selected days, we had two timelines, you could do weekend or weekday training. Um, I was a mentor for the weekend training. And we'd have this big broadcast for about two hours, and then for 30 minutes, plus however long participants wanted to stay, Um, we would discuss what happened in the broadcast, maybe themes that that brought up or connections into aspects of our lives. And like really seeing people open up about their experience or environmental exposure in general was, yeah, it's always a a great feeling. um, And a really deep emotional connection sometimes. So uh, during this training, one of our one of the participants in general, or in specific, was talking about the political will to act and this lack of political will from traditional conservatives mm-hmm. and going on and on about this said why why don't we ask the expert panel and you know let's 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 talk about it and let's really engage with this because if this is something that's really firing you up take that fire and turn it into the action right like make the environmental action that you want to see. and." If you're still questioning about that, ask those questions. Get those answers and drive forward on creating that positive change.
0: Yes, well, that was definitely the best place to be able to ask those questions, I'm sure. And I'm curious, did Al Gore still give his multiple hundred slide presentation that he normally gives?
1: He sure did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely did. It was. Broken across two nights.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So the first broadcast, one, um, when the small group was digesting it, it was like, oh my God. And I, I'm sure you remember the structure of it a little bit. Yes. The first half is like, oh, the world is ending. <laughs> oh my God, look at all these things that are happening. And that's very much the must we act part of it. Mm. And in the second day of the broadcast, with the second half of the presentation, you really hit home on the, can we act and will we act? Mm. And I think that's a great way, like obviously like he doesn't need me to review his presentation skills, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a fantastic way to approach the issue is those, those three questions. Because as much as it's really doom and gloom, you then like shine this light that gets brighter and brighter and brighter because people realize that they can take that action.
0: Exactly. That's my whole goal of this podcast is I know climate change and sustainability solutions can be really doom and gloom, like you mentioned sometimes, and a really dark topic to try and approach. But in the end, we have to have hope. And there's so many people out there who are working to make a difference, like yourself, by being a mentor. So I'm really, really grateful for the training. For the listeners, what advice do you have for someone who wants to become an activist or become a part of this movement?
1: Whatever you're doing right now can be sustainable, can be environmental in some way, shape, or form, right? Sustainability for the longest time was considered this silo and this silo approach where there's everything going on and then the one person in an organization, company, or business who is the sustainability person. And that's just not it. Like that, that's not how change happens. It happens when the whole organization begins to have that sustainability culture. So regardless of where you are, what you work in, what you're learning, if you're still in education or what aspect of you is interested in environment and sustainability, own it. Like be the sustainable person in a room. If if it's as small a thing as saying like, hey, that's that's actually recyclable. Can you go toss that in the recycling instead of the trash? Or, mm. you know, be the annoying person. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because eventually, you're not the annoying person, and it's just the norm. Mm,
0: that's really really good advice. Yeah. I know a lot of my friends are those annoying people in their companies who are trying to get people to recycle, trying to get people to make the right choices and you know, even if we have to be annoying about it it's making a difference.
1: It's The the slow persistent change right.
0: Yes, exactly. So, as I mentioned, since we first connected and met at the climate reality training in Atlanta, we have since graduated and started our careers in the sustainability field. So I would love to hear more about your job. And overall, I know there's a lot of college students who listen to this podcast. So I would love for you to talk about the job search process and how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, that is a great question because the job search happened during the pandemic. Um, (laughs) So I actually, I'll start with how I ended up with the job search. Um, I am a 2020 venture for America fellow. So I was able to kind of phase into the job search process a little easier. I had, you know, a filtered list of company partners that would be innovative and entrepreneurship focused which was fantastic. I I knew that was something I wanted to do. And what was even better is of that list, I could filter down to the environmental ones.
0: Mm, That's nice.
1: Was a smaller subset, (laughs) but it allowed me to really focus my job search and recognize that, okay, these are environmental organizations that have entrepreneurship or innovation in what they do. And that allowed me to, find Wholesome Meats in San Antonio and really connect with the work they're doing in regenerative agriculture, I guess, that we are doing in regenerative agriculture, (laughs) um, and start to utilize what my talents are uh, to implement the changes and grow the company to, you know, challenge conventional beef.
0: So what exactly is your role at the company?
1: Yeah, so I wear mini hats. Um, we are a growing team, um, which is also to say a small team, (laughs) but I am the distribution and operations associate. So anything in operations or distribution, whether it is literally speaking with ranchers to purchase cattle, working with processors on slaughtering and butchering cattle into different portion cuts or ground beef. Um, working with restaurant partners to make sure they are supplied. Working with grocery stores to make sure they're supplied. Um, working with our distributors, so uh, distributors can you know buy from us and then go out to all of their restaurant partners. Or whether I'm literally just doing the deliveries myself, or packaging shipping boxes that we then send out to consumers all over the country.
0: Wow. Um,
1: so lots of different hats. <laughs>
0: So as you mentioned, the company has a huge focus on regenerative agriculture or is really built on regenerative agriculture. So can you talk about or explain what exactly regenerative agriculture is and how does it affect the planet, the animals and the people working? I know that's a big question.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So Wholesome Meats is part of a portfolio with Soilworks Natural Capital which is a fund that is targeting regenerative agriculture um, for now specifically within the state of Texas to really grow it. Texas is, uh, when it comes to cattle, the number one cattle producing state in the country.
0: Mm.
1: So if we're gonna tackle conventional beef anywhere, it should probably start here. And what regenerative grazing is, cause I'll, I'll focus in on cattle cause that's our area specifically,
0: mm-hmm.
1: It's looking at the soil health and utilizing soil health to inform the grass and the health of the grasses and your grazing and planned grazing management practices that then inform the health of your cattle that then inform the nutrition values and the health of the steaks that you're then consuming as a consumer. And it all comes back from the soil. With planned grazing, um, soil management and soil monitoring, you can ensure that you have these deep perennial perennial grasses with deep roots that are native to the area that really hold the soil in place. So you're pretty much canceling out that dust bowl idea where mm. you, know, you plow the fields, get everything cleared, plant the seeds, and now everything's blowing away. You're utilizing the hooves of these ruminant animals to break up that hard pack soil and using their manure to fertilize as they go so that your pasture land is rich and healthy and in the end the products that you consume are rich and healthy.
0: Does this have any impact on the health of the animals uh, growing up on a farm that is focused on this compared to maybe a conventional farm?
1: Yeah so conventional operators with um, conventional feedlots right you have cattle in very confined pins, they're fed grains and corn, which plus a lot of antibiotics to deal with all of the health issues that come from feeding cattle strictly grain and corn. Mm-hmm. So you're just kind of playing whack a mole with all the problems. So the whole point of regenerative agriculture is to reimagine what that system is so that you're saying, look, we don't have to keep playing whack-a-mole. We can address the root issue and address the soil so that our cattle aren't confined, they're free to roam and graze as they please, and in the end, they're healthier, the product is healthier, and you end up healthier.
0: (laughs) Do you see regenerative agriculture being a large-scale sustainable solution as we move forward?
1: Yeah, I I really do. there are a lot of conversations that that you can have on like vegetarianism and veganism. I have been both before, um, as have other people in the company. Um, so it's, you know, you can talk about vegetarianism and veganism. And really, one of the conversations that you know, regenerative cattle and regenerative grazing points back to is a lot of plant based products that are meat alternatives are derived from massive single plant monocultures. So the ecological impact they have is very negative to begin with. Mm. So can we, through this natural process of grazing land, start to pull some of that back and still have the ecological benefit of carbon sequestration in the soil, native diverse plants that have deep roots holding the soil in place, and allowing these animals to graze and co so that you're really having an entire almost mini ecosystem where you're ending up with these cattle that you graze and consume
0: that's a really good point because i feel like with all of the imitation meats that are coming out it is easy to associate those products or assume that they are green or sustainable just because they aren't actually meat. So I think that's a really interesting point. And I know that a lot of people are vegan or vegetarian in the sustainability movement and feel that that's how they can have their impact. But do you think that purchasing from wholesome meats is a good way for people who aren't necessarily ready to make that drastic of a change in their diet to still have an impact or a positive impact on the fight against climate change.
1: Definitely, I think as as soon as people can transition away from conventional agriculture in, in all of its senses, if it's transitioning from conventional beef to regenerative beef, I'd prefer specifically wholesome, um, if you're gonna make that transition, but you know, (laughs) everyone has (laughs) good choices. But as long as you can start making that transition towards regenerative, right? Because we have very degenerative processes right now. We are sucking everything out of the soil, pumping chemicals into these animals and into these products so that we can have something that's okay-ish. we're talking about sustainable, right? Where we can sustain the land and sustain these crops and these plants and these animals. But we're transitioning and sustainability is this transition to regenerative, where we're regrowing the capacity for the land to heal itself and for the plants and animals to coexist in this space, um, ourselves being one of those animals. So we wanna go from degenerative, sustainable is
0: kind of where we're at
1: not really though (laughs) we're still kind of behind the curve there and regenerative is the end goal
0: well it's really amazing to hear how your experiences in college and then with the climate reality project and now your job in the sustainability field have all come together and you're making such a big difference how can people learn more about the climate reality project and about your company as well
1: Yeah, definitely. So one of the things you can do for Climate Reality Project is literally look up the Climate Reality Project. And I guarantee you, it'll be one of the first things to pop up. Um, It is a very quickly growing group with members all over the world, and chapters all over the world, really driving forward on that positive change. Um, To get involved or to see what we're about with wholesome meats, you can go to getwholesome.com. Um, We have both information available there, Um, there there's a publication called The Regeneration, which is about regenerative agriculture and innovations in ag in general, so you can look at that, Um, and then if you want to see other projects that we're connected to, we also post about that as well, so you can follow us over there. Also, if you'd like to order some wonderful regenerative beef, you can do that at Get Wholesome as well.
0: Perfect. I'll be sure to link all of those in the show notes. And again, I had such an incredible experience at the climate reality training. So I really encourage everyone to look into that and see if there's a possibility for you to also participate in a future training. And John, I know that you have listened to episodes of the podcast before, so I'm sure you are anticipating the final question, but what are you hopeful about right now?
1: I think for my answer to that, I'll go back to that, that topic I was talking about with agriculture, where we're in a degenerative place. We're looking at sustainable and projecting forward into regenerative. I'm really hopeful for agriculture in the future. We're seeing a lot of, a lot of agriculture transition to younger people coming back to the land and starting to really take ownership of the production of food across the country And as we're seeing that, we're seeing more and more transition to these positive environmental practices. So that's what makes me hopeful. Um, Seeing the future of agriculture change before our eyes is fantastic and beautiful to see.
0: Yes, definitely. Well, agriculture is such a huge industry, so there's definitely a ton of room to make an impact there. And I'm really excited to reconnect with you and really looking forward to seeing where we both go in our sustainability journeys. And I really appreciate you being here today. So thanks for joining us on the podcast, John. Thanks for being here today.
1: Definitely. Thank Thank you so much. Yeah, this, this podcast is always fun to listen to. I'm um, very excited that i actually got to do one
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i'm glad you joined (laughs) thanks for listening to today's episode if you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello check out the show notes and find us on instagram at hopefully sustainable pod don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts and spotify As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.